Hello, everyone. This is Eric Pennington, and welcome to the Spirit of EQ podcast. We're glad that you've tuned in. A few things we wanted to tell you at the beginning of the show, and that's this podcast was created to be a tool to help you, primarily to discover and grow your EQ. Science and our own lived experiences confirm that the better we are at managing our emotions, the better we're going to be at making decisions, which leads to a better life. And that's something we all want. We're glad that you've taken out the time today to listen and hope that something that you hear will lead to a breakthrough. Hey, one last thing. We'd really appreciate a review on whichever platform you use to listen. And if you want to, leave some comments about what you heard today, as well as follow and subscribe. That way you won't miss a single episode as we continue this journey. And with that, the show begins. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Spirit of EQ podcast. I'm Eric Pennington. With me, as always, is Jeff East. Hey, Jeff. Hi, Eric, and everyone out there. We have a very special guest today, uh, somebody whom I've wanted to have on the show for quite a while. And um, due to circumstances beyond our control and all the other excuses that you give for that, uh, we haven't been able to have her on, but we have Anita Rowe. Uh, who is a therapist in private practice with Directions Counseling, and she's uh, she's just awesome. So, Anita, welcome to the show. <laughs> Thank yes. you, Eric. So welcome. happy to be here. Thanks, Jeff. So um, we'll just jump right in. One of the things that I have thought about really was the prompter about wanting you to come on was this thing called core beliefs. Mm-hmm. And you were probably one of the first people that I talked to that really kind of prompted me to kind of wonder, like, wow, that's pretty powerful. Could there be some things that were formed back when I was like eight years old? And could those things flow all the way into adulthood before I maybe even remotely just question them, mm-hmm. right? It, just to validate them or whatever. And then you and I talked and you gave me some information, shared some information that really kind of opened up my eyes a lot. And I, I just thought, man, this would be great for our audience to, to, to explore because Anita, as I know you know um, from your conversations with me, we put a lot of emphasis on our audience's personal self-growth. And we thought, do think, this could be a powerful part of it. So how about we start here with definitions? Okay. We throw around the term core beliefs. If you had to, whether it's a clinical definition or just even, you know, layman's, whatever you want to call it, what, what are core beliefs? Yeah. So I actually have a definition for you. All right. Core beliefs are our most deeply held assumptions about ourselves, the world, and others. They are firmly embedded in our thinking and significantly shape our reality and behaviors. Okay, so in what you read there, now would that be a case of someone who says, um, I never get anything right. I never do anything right. Absolutely. Okay. Is that typically a, I know that's not the entirety, but that would give a clue that this person may have a core belief that they, that they, that they're, I hate to say screw up, but you know what I mean? Well, it sounds like that's what they believe, right? Because the word never is in there. Right. Right. Which create, does that like communicate some permanence to the whole deal? Yes. Okay. Okay. All right. So, um, our, my, I'll, I'll speak for myself personally, Jeff here. Um, uh, I, when I, was, when I was going through the Enneagram and, and we were kind of doing this process of defining the number and 
we we spent a lot of time um, my fa- my wife and I and some friends with uh, Ian Morgan Cron's uh, approach to it from the road back to you, and it was just this real investigating type deal. And and he's really big on self knowledge, as he calls it, not self discovery, but self knowledge. The more that you can know yourself mm-hmm. beneath the surface, you know, the more more data, right? And one of the things that kind of got me was like, well, how did I come to think this way? Where did this come from? And he had this exercise, and I think it was from him, was this idea about, well, when you have a belief about yourself, ask yourself, is that true? Mm-hmm. I think I went mm-hmm. through the same book with some friends, and I yeah, think hey, that's I think it's where it was from. Yeah, yeah. so this so. idea where it's true. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm, I'm kind of this kid of wonder at times because I'm going, oh, my gosh, that's not true. Well, wait a minute, where did that come from? Why did I think that's true? So with that perspective, um, why is it important? I mean, I, mean I, I know there's some implied reasons, but why are core beliefs important? Because our whole experience in the world is viewed through the lens of our core beliefs. Mm. So I listened to a prior podcast that you guys did, and you mentioned core values, mm-hmm. right? So maybe that was the idea we were going, but... That's definitely part of it. And when core values or core needs are um, abused or dismissed, then it definitely impacts how we see the world or ourselves or others. So okay. every interaction or experience we have is going to be viewed with our core beliefs. So that lens is yeah. how we view mm-hmm. the world. Yeah. I, I, Go ahead. Yeah. When, when you read the definition, one of the first yeah. words was assumption. Yes. To me, I'm hoping you can enlighten me. Assumptions mean it might not be right. This truck. But it might be right. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And so, like, speaking of what Eric just mentioned is asking yourself, is this true? Some people are going to say yes, and they really, really believe it. Mm -hmm. Right? So if depending on their emotional intelligence or the level of mental health, right, right, right it depends mm-hmm. if they can even challenge it that way. So yes, the assumption is based on maybe an experience, something they've been taught, a uh, perceived, you know, yeah. perception yeah. that we take in, assuming that it's the truth. Okay. Can I go where you just went just for you for, uh, to yeah. add on? Okay, so if we assume that what we think of ourselves is true. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you guys have ever experienced this, but it's kind of like, you it's like a warm blanket. The feeling of, if I feel like I'm not worth anything, I can relate to that more than I could of, I, of what might be the opposite of that or what might be on that. Does that sure. make sense? Well, are you speaking of like the discomfort of going out of what's familiar yes, in our exactly. thought process? So even though I may hate feeling that I'm uh-huh. not worth anything, uh-huh. I'm used to yes. it. I know it. I'm, I'm comfortable with it. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a reason for it, right? And so okay. that protective side of us that, that wants to believe okay. these things. When, you, you, when you're examining these core beliefs, if you get to the point where it's, it's, it's not an assumption, but you're pretty positive that it is, that is a tool to use mm-hmm. then. Yes. Okay. Yes. We'll probably get to that Because later. we can't challenge it until we look at, is there a possibility that it's not true? Or if it if it is true, you could go, okay, I'm doing that again. Mm-hmm. Sure. <laughs> okay. Sure. So if if the core belief is not serving a person well, not 
improving or making their life better as I've, I've used that probably to exhaustion, but this idea that, you know, is it making your life better? Um, I've, I've heard it said that sometimes people will, when they're confronted with and change in this regard, right? The anxiety of what is in the unknown is mm-hmm. greater than dealing with the limiting belief, the limiting issue inside of them. Have you found that to be true sometimes? Yeah, yeah, for sure. You know, I've worked with lots of clients um, who are afraid to step out um, of bad situations, say it's right. relationships or abuse or right. trying something new, right? Yeah. And, um, you know, we all have some, some things that we need to step out of the box for. And I just want to mention, too, that when core beliefs are based out of trauma, right, it's a little bit deeper. Yeah. And so we can get into like what that means as far as like, how do we challenge that? Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I do want to go there. Um, maybe we'll, we'll tackle it in steps if you're okay with this, Jeff, where we'll, we'll go with sort of the non-trauma developed mm-hmm. core belief, and then we'll go into trauma. Okay. And, and before we do that, um, I also would like to get your thoughts about um, the, mis- I consider a mistake of carrying things into adulthood that maybe should have remained back in mm-hmm. childhood. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, mm-hmm. that happens a lot, which is why we hear a lot about let's heal the inner child, right? So yeah, yeah. We we carry, for sure, carry some things over if we don't stop and look at them or get them investigated. Or, you know, and, and that's mm-hmm. interesting, Anita, and I was having this conversation today, you know, the things that we learned in school. No one ever came and said, hey, you know, Eric, you're turning 18, and that's awesome. But we, we need to like do a check on what you've been believing about mm-hmm. yourself before you get out into the world because things could be totally different. Did you get that speech? <laughs> no. Uh, anyone? Producer no. Brett? Uh, no. <laughs> and I think how, I mean, as I look back over my life, I go, how awesome would it have been? Like, hey, before you graduate, Jeff, we yeah. just want to kind of, I mean, I, it would seem like that would position us to go, okay, wait a minute. I, I can I can look at this from a different view, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. that didn't happen. So, <laughs> but you you mentioned the inner child, and I don't know how much this connects. The the same group that I did the Enneagram book with, we're doing a, a book on archetypes, and last night was about the child archetype <laughs> with all those mm-hmm. wounded and and all those. Does that roll into that too? Yeah, I mean, if we don't heal those wounds. You know, they they definitely are going to impact. And here's the thing, though. Some people don't realize that they're wounded or because they don't feel traumatized, but it doesn't mean they don't have a mindset about it. Ooh, mm-hmm. thank you. So it doesn't have to feel like a trauma to have an inaccurate view or mindset or belief system. Okay. Okay. Wow. Sorry, I need a moment, Jeff. <laughs> this is so good. Okay, so let's move to trauma versus non-trauma. Uh, mm-hmm. And how about we go, we'll start with trauma. Mm-hmm. Can you kind of unwrap that a bit, uh, a trauma-induced or trauma-created core belief? Sure. And so it could be like a one-time thing, like a car accident. Now the world isn't safe. I can never get in a car again. You know, it might produce PTSD for somebody. Mm-hmm. Um depending on, you know, how they felt about that particular trauma where some people can walk away and be like, whew, thank God I'm still alive. Like, let's let's go, mm-hmm. you know? And so we can't judge what's traumatic or not, but if that person feels like it's trauma, mm-hmm. then it's trauma, but it impacts 
how they view things now and what they believe. Yeah. So, um, and then long-term traumas or complex trauma would be numerous occasions or a long period of time in which somebody's enduring something. So that would go back to even like in childhood, if they've been even as simple as being dismissed by parents, right? So we, we think about traumas, you know, well, were you, you know, was there domestic violence in your home? Were you beat up or, you know, mm-hmm. was there an alcoholic who, mm-hmm. who yelled all the time? But right. just being dismissed because a child has a need of um, having attentiveness from the parent. And that means that the parent sees how their harsh words impact that child. They see when their child is sad and go towards the child to meet the need. And mm. so when when those needs aren't being met, just even on that level, it creates this core mm-hmm. belief maybe that they're not important or that they can't speak up because you know they're never heard, they, their opinion doesn't matter, they're unlovable, they're not a priority, like all number of things. Yeah. And then as adults, you know, maybe that child grew up in, in a great home where there was attentiveness, which kind of made up for the flaws of the parenting um, right, because right. a child can overcome some some flaws um, or misguided parenting when the parent comes back around and says, hey, like, I'm sorry, you know, I didn't mean that. And now there's change, you know, so it doesn't have to be perfect. But when when those needs are getting met of having attention, being loved, and being uh, attuned to. Mm-hmm. So they grew up great, f- you know, fully functional, very happy, but then they're in a long-term relationship in which something is traumatic. Gotcha. All right. So how about for the non-traumatic? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we would think about maybe just having an example mm-hmm. of something. Mm-hmm. So... You had mentioned in the podcast, like ethnicity, you know, somebody having a viewpoint. Um, so the the example could be as simple as a certain political party always talking about the other party in a very derogatory way, or ethnic groups, or or even just the matter of um, roles in a home. Mm-hmm. So maybe the mother's a stay-at-home mom, the dad provides, it's the old school, you know, way to go. And that works for that family. So that child grows up and that's the belief that they have, but then they get a partner who doesn't believe that same thing. Yeah. And there's a core belief now that's going to cause <laughs> some dissension. I grew up on a farm, so we had, you know, every, it, that's a weird role. And for especially the mother, and so I was, my wife is very independent and wouldn't have been able to go in that traditional yeah. way. So I'm glad I grew up the way I did. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's interesting. So Anita, um, regardless of the pathway and how you get to those core beliefs, mm-hmm. um, in your practice, typically what are some things that you do, maybe on the front side to... Mm-hmm. And is that the primary? Do you want to go there first? And, and yeah, let's talk about that because when somebody comes in my office and they're struggling with something, mm-hmm. I always want to know what meaning does it hold for them. Mm-hmm. So, because we can't assume that their perception, their feelings, their beliefs are ours. Yeah. So somebody might be anxious going into you know public spaces, um, and I might say, "What does it mean to you?" If 
like, what are you thinking? What does it mean to you? And they might say, well, everybody, I worry about everybody looking at me. That's not, that's not disclosing the core belief. So we have to go deeper, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Well, what does it mean to you if everybody's looking at you? Well, everybody's going to think, you know, I'm stupid. I don't know what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Like, they're going to judge me. Mm-hmm. Again, what does it mean to you if this is happening? Right. It means a lot of times it comes down to I'm not good enough. Nobody likes me. I'm a screw up. Right. right. So we have to dig a little bit. Because it, it would seem to me it's a natural progression that you very rarely, I would imagine, you would very rarely have somebody come in and say, I, I need to have I need to have a session with Anita because I've got issues with core beliefs. Never. That has never, <laughs> ever happened. Not once. Right, right. So, but I love to explore what those are because that defines the issues. Right. It's kind of the, mm-hmm. the you know what ground you're walking mm-hmm. on yeah. in, from that perspective. Yeah. When you do that, do you go in with using the core belief verbiage? When you're working with someone? Well, we identify it, and I, and I might say something like, well, it sounds like you have a core belief that you okay. don't feel good enough. Mm-hmm. Does this relate to other areas of life? Where do you think this came from? Okay. You know, things, and so it takes some exploring, and not everybody has self-awareness, and sometimes it takes several sessions for that to even be exposed. Um, and, you know, on occasion, somebody will say, I'm really stressed at work. You know, I don't know. I'm just going through something that I haven't had to struggle with before. I don't know how to handle this. And like three sessions later, it means that they feel like everything is going wrong in their life and it's their fault. Yeah. So it's just hard to tell from the get-go. Some people walk in, like you were able to identify you have imposter syndrome sometimes, right? So Mm -hmm. some people know right away what they're thinking and believing and other people do not. Well, someone once told me, Eric, you're a four, so you don't represent most of the planet, (laughs) which always reminds me that maybe when I thought I was an alien, I really am. Uh, Because I I typically, and we've talked about it on the show many times, Jeff, about the emotion, our emotions are data and they're they're there to communicate with Mm us, you know, a la message from you to you. Mm -hmm. And I, part of my practice is when I'm feeling anger, okay. I'm feeling angry. Where's that coming from? Mm-hmm. What's behind that? Mm-hmm. Why? Does it really have to do with that person or is there something else? Yeah. And because I'm in a place in my life where I don't want to, I don't want to move backwards. I, you know, it's not have to do with that person. It has to do with the fact that I got that text message when I woke up this morning and I'm still kind of pissed about mm-hmm. it. Okay. Oh, <laughs> so you don't have to get, Mad at Jeff, right? You can just go back to what's in that text message that set you off. Because I, and, and, and as much as, yeah, wonderful for Eric, but the reality mm-hmm. of it is, is that I, I'm, I'm, it's, it leads to um, bad health. Sure. If I'm, I got this happen at 6 a.m., then I saw Jeff and I went off on him because I'm mad about <laughs> that. <laughs> Which it, it kind of compounds problems, right? It definitely does. And then to go one step further is why was that text message so upsetting, right? What was it about that? Yeah. Where's the belief in that? Yeah. And it might be a valid belief, but oh, it might not be. Anita, but you're, to your point, right? And, and in this case, uh, there, there is some realism here, yeah. right? It had to do, I'm, I'm afraid. 
I'm afraid of what this means mm-hmm. and what's going to happen. And I don't know if I can carry that weight. Mm. And as much as someone might say, well, you know, just just uh, go to that seminar on how to do X, Y, and Z, or why don't you write another book? Or No, no, no. It's, it's kind of like, where does that come from? Yeah. Where yeah. does, w- what makes you think that you must have it all on your shoulders? Mm-hmm. What, who said it was your responsibility? Mm-hmm. And by taking that process, Anita, then I can kind of go, okay. And it might lead me to go, well, wait a minute. Do I have this core belief that everything is my responsibility? That sounds really heavy. Oh, wow. Here I go. Wait a minute. I can trace it back. And I'm not here today for our audience to say, oh, see how I did it? I did it in in two minutes. I just showed you what to do. It's not that at (laughs) all, right? I mean, if it were, Joe Joe Rogan would be writing to us for help. Um, So my perspective with it, though, is that I just want to encourage people that um, even with the traumatic stuff, and yes, I agree in the sense that if, if, if it's too deep and you find that you cannot, mm-hmm. you need help, go find a therapist like Anita, you know, that can sit down with you and help you navigate. Mm-hmm. But we can't, I think it's just not a good idea to hide from it and to, to try to go the other way when that's not going to get you where you want to go. So It always comes out one way or another. One way. And I have three questions I would encourage people to ask themselves Please. in order for you know, people at home to identify how, how do I view myself for the world is just finish the sentence. I am the world is the future is. Mm. Can you repeat that one more time? I am the world is, and the future is. And if those have negative answers, difficult answers, Mm -hmm. then it might be something worth looking at. And then from there, Anita, um, and I just kind of alluded to it, if, if uh, about navigating that, that journey, Mm -hmm. um, is there some way that someone out there might know that they need to get the assistance of a therapist to, to navigate? I mean, what's a kind of a, how do you know if you need to, to do that? Yeah, well, first I would say anybody could benefit. So there's never okay. a wrong time, but right, right, right. But does that mean everybody needs therapy? Mm, maybe, maybe not, right? We could all benefit, but is it necessary for everybody? If somebody can look at themselves, you know, have some introspection and reflect on some things and learn and grow, self-help books, YouTube, right? Challenge these things. First of all, can you identify mm-hmm. what's within yourself? Yep. Um, and can you challenge it and learn from it and grow? If you can't do that, and many people can't do that, like I'm a therapist, I have a therapist, like it's okay if we need help. And we're going to talk more about <laughs> that uh, later in, in the show, but I, um, I'm glad that you mentioned the idea about measuring your ability to challenge mm-hmm. um, because I think that is key. Um, mm-hmm. I, I know that there's there could be many out there who they view this as, like it, like it were a competition, like how did I do, you know, mm. um, you know, what, what did I score, you know, because w- with our assessments, for example, and I know Jeff can relate, people are just like, they're just waiting. Okay, how did, how did I do? How did I do? <laughs> and, and it's like, we have to let them down. You know, it's like, this is not a scoring you if you if you did this, you get an award type thing, you know, <laughs> yeah, there's no, uh, 
valedictorian of right or eq <laughs> yeah right exactly you know no free prize at the end I think. um so um any of your thoughts about trauma uh and non-trauma core beliefs jeff yeah, no it's it's just interesting that you know, i've went through some of the same things where you know i had to learn different things but mm-hmm. i see a lot of people just when you you're around them you know that they're in trauma Mm -hmm. it's very very obvious they think they're hiding it yeah so what advice would you give some you know if if eric is seeing that in me Mm -hmm. what would you tell eric to do Ooh. <laughs> that, <laughs> no that, pressure. <laughs> that can be tricky, right? Because we don't know how the other person is going and I to. Are, you know, we're close. Okay, <laughs> so you have rapport. That's yeah, there's, good. There's, That's a, good. there's some ground. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, the first thing is like, hey, man, like I'm noticing some things. Are you okay? Like, okay. first of all, it's like let's just let's just notice mm-hmm. and let them know that you care. Is there anything you need? Is there anything I can do now? Also, doing that carefully. Not that you're codependent, but some people might be codependent and need and need and need so much. And then, you know, the other person has to say, wow, you know, I'm really not equipped mm. or capable of helping you in the way that you need. Like, let's let's take a look together. Let's find some somebody to talk to. What do you think about that? And, you know, so many people, because of core beliefs, suffer from anxiety and depression. And there definitely <laughs> can be some clinical aspects to it as well. But, mm-hmm. but. Working on core beliefs, you know, can lift some of that load. Mm-hmm. So it's really, really important. Okay. So I want to pivot for a moment into an area that you and I have talked about in previous, uh, even before having you on the show. Um, and that is um, why therapy can be a good complement. You know, you kind of alluded to it, you know, about this idea about it's always good to have a therapist, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. Um, and I'm in that camp as well. I, I think, quite frankly, everyone should have, as they go through their medical providers, if you've got a podiatrist, a cardiologist, mm-hmm. you should have a therapist, and on and on and mm-hmm. on. And as with those situations, you maybe not are going to see the cardiologist every month, I mean, every six months or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so the frequency may be different depending on the situation. I think America as a culture, for example, we did ourselves a really, really big disservice, especially in light of what happened with the pandemic. It seems to me that we were riding on this train that said, well, only people who have the issues need therapy. Mm. Everybody else, we're good. Just mm-hmm. you know, work harder, get a promotion, buy a house, whatever we did, right? And that worked for a while because we thought, well, look, look at all the results. Look at all the all the trappings, right? And then the pandemic came, and it's like it pulled the rug right out from underneath mm-hmm. everybody. So I think it left some people in that place of like, well, I don't know what to do. And Anita, and Jeff's heard this from me before, I've been using this wherever I go, is that pre-pandemic, with leaning so heavily on the intellectual logic side that produced so many results that people would measure as check, success, mm-hmm. check, success, we ignored the emotional and spiritual. It was almost like we put them in a box and stored them in the basement. And then the pandemic created these problems that the intellectual cannot solve mm-hmm. on its own. Yeah, We're left with only having a portion of the, of the possible solution. And where I'm going with this as it relates is that, yes, I'm, I'm advocating that everybody have a therapist. 
But I also want to talk to Anita about some of the things that I think sometimes can get missed that impact, you know, our our self-care around Mm -hmm. this, right? Because Anita, again, you might say, well, no, Eric, I don't think you need to see me about that. That may be something you can talk over with a friend or a coach or whatever the case may be. And it it reminds me, I had a client once who uh, had engaged with me about um, wanting to be in better health in general. And I didn't, I'm not a personal trainer or whatever, and I'm not, I'm not a nutritionist (laughs) or whatever, but I just asked them some simple questions like, um, how do you feel when you don't exercise and you're not eating right and on and on? And I got what you would expect, right? The typical answers. Oh, I feel, I feel lethargic. I, I, it's hard to focus. And I, and then he started on his routine, started exercising, started paying attention to his nutrition, you know, all of these different things. And I asked him, so how do you feel now that you're doing blah, 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 and blah you know, all the exercise? Oh, I feel great. I mean, I've got energy. I can, I mean, my focus is so much better. I don't find myself wandering off um, my blood. I mean, he just rattles it off the list. Unfortunately, he fell off the wagon and he, he, he was, he, he felt bad, right? He, he almost was like feeling guilty talking to me about it. Right. <laughs> and I just said, before you, I, you, you're really beating yourself up. Before you go down that path, can I just read something to you? He was, well, sure, sure, sure. So I pull out my notes, and I just read to him what he told me. You told me that when you exercise and when you eat right, you feel this, you feel that, mm-hmm. you, this is better, this is better, this is better. It seemed to me you could take your own advice, and you, <laughs> you, you'd be good. So with that, Anita, um. What impact would you say? And you, we can just talk at a high level. I'm not going to ask you to go down the science route too much. Uh, what role does exercise, for example, play in the health of our brain? How about that? Well, the, you know, the dopamine that's released during exercise is very highly rewarding, which is people you know, why people have the runner's high or they feel good after hitting the gym. Mm-hmm. Um, anytime we move our body, like God designed it that way, we need to keep moving to stay healthy. Yeah. So it definitely has an impact on well, mental health. There, because there, I see these, uh, and maybe they're hopefully not clickbait, but I see these news headlines that talk about you know the connection between exercise and helping depression and mm-hmm. exercise helping anxiety. Is that yeah. a, kind of the result? Is it the dopamine thing, yeah. or is it? Well, it really is because you know those things are lacking. So you were talking about the dopamine mm-hmm. and, and its impact around mm-hmm. that. Can you open, maybe unwrap that a little bit more? Yeah. So, you know, anybody who, who sits too long, like <clears throat> it just affects your mindset, right? And so we need to get up and move and, you know, getting the heart rate up helps the heart, yeah. you know, all the things. But the energy level is changed. Your mood is changed. Um, being outside, like you're just more energized and motivated to do more. And the thing about motivation, a lot of times people are like, oh, I'm not motivated. If we sit and wait for motivation, it's never going to happen. But motivation happens when we take action. So that first time at the gym or going for a walk um, might not be what you want to do. But once you're there, you know, you might feel motivated to go again. I really like that statement. Um, Action creates motivation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, that's really powerful. Now, um, I can just think back to, um, the adage, you know, they, and in my corporate days where they would say, 
be careful going to lunch and eating a big bowl of pasta <laughs> because it's going to come back to get you at about two o'clock type thing. Mm-hmm. And of course, I ignored that because I thought, hey, I'm Superman. <laughs> but it did. Um, so can you talk a little bit about that? I mean, I know that it's not specific to pasta, but I, I guess. Well, I think what you're alluding to is the serotonin, you know, okay. which is obviously produced in the brain. But what people don't realize is the majority of it is produced in our gut. So what we wow. eat affects how we feel. Yeah. And, you know, there's which is why we get the sugar crash. Like that's that's not helping our serotonin levels. You know, those those carbs, the pasta that makes you want to go take a nap. Mm-hmm. You know, I love pasta. Like I want a donut every now and then. Yeah. Like, so it's not, it's just, we have to keep it within balance and be, you know, fairly healthy in order to feel good. So. Yeah. Is it, I mean, I use the example of that client mm-hmm. and, and, and you know, that's, that's a great story and all, but um, is it something that you think we can measure by, okay, what is the impact of these choices I'm making? A la, I'm not exercising. Let me evaluate. What mm-hmm. impact does that have? Or uh, no, I don't eat a nutritious diet. What impact is that having? Is, yeah. that, is that a tool? Is that a pr- an approach? Well, I like what you said about, you know, your client. How do you feel when you exercise? Like that's the biggest gauge is like mm-hmm. what is your personal um, outcome from eating right and exercising and what's going to motivate you. So, yeah. Yeah. We, we can't force any lifestyle on anybody, but what what would be important to them? What do they want out of their life? And and I have to be very careful uh, so that I don't turn into the exercise nutrition. Um, how would I say this, Jeff? Uh, a benevolent dictator. <laughs> you know, maybe. maybe maybe that's my maybe that's my own podcast. You know, Eric <laughs> tells you you better, right? Uh, but the the thing around it, I have such a longing, and maybe it's because of my own experience. You know, when I, you know, just the reality of when you get those conversations that say mm-hmm. you're not going to live as long as you think you're going to, my mm-hmm. friend, you you kind of get urgent, right? You kind of yeah. go, wait a minute, this life, this body, my mind was a gift from God. I Mm -hmm. better treat it like it is that. It's Mm -hmm. a gift. And I think some of that even comes back to the core belief. A lot of people don't believe that they're worth these changes. So, you know, I heard a, a fitness coach or somebody one time say, loving yourself after you work out is not what's important. Let's love yourself so that you get to the gym. So it doesn't have to like go in the opposite order that we expect, right? So, well, I'll be happy when I weigh a certain weight or I'll be happy when I'm doing this or I'm doing that. Why aren't you worth it right now? So learning, you know, what, first of all, what's your belief system about yourself? Why aren't you worth eating better for? Why aren't you worth exercising for or putting effort into your health or your mental health? Yeah. So, yeah, Yeah. that, that therapy part, like that wraparound care, and I know we've talked before about nobody thinks twice if you have a financial coach, a fitness coach, a pastor, like all of these advisors in our life. And so therapy is about our, having a mental health coach, right? So 
let me rephrase that because there are coaches. Right. Sure. sure. <laughs> Clinical. <laughs> right. It's, it's like just having somebody in your corner that can help you dig apart the changes that you want to make. Um, and so that you feel better, you gain emotional intelligence and awareness about yourself so that you know more what you need so that you can learn to listen to yourself. Yeah. You know, I used to be somebody who would never. So if I made a commitment, there's no way I'm backing out because I had a core belief that I need to be dependable. Like people need to rely on me. And I've had to learn if there's an event I just can't go to or shouldn't go to on a Friday night because I've had a hard week. Now I just need to sit home and relax. I've learned that I need to listen to that because that's where my well-being comes in. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm going to pivot as we get close to the end of this episode, which Jeff, I know you would say, hey, oh, time's just, no, this is the proof Always of a great does. guest. This is the proof of a great guest. Um, there may be somebody out there listening who is kind of debating around this idea of, of therapy, right? And they wonder, well, maybe I do need it. Well, maybe I don't. Well, my mom said that you don't need to do that. My, my friend mm-hmm. from college said it's the best thing ever. So what's a, a typical grid or a process that you might recommend someone take to determine if they need yeah. to do that? If they're even thinking about it, give it a try, right? Okay. If it's a question, mm-hmm. like go with, you know, what could be beneficial um, and it might work for you. So Yeah, because if someone goes and it's not the experience yeah. that they wanted, needed yeah. or whatever, it's not like they're locked in. They're right? not locked in. And so, and not every therapist is a good fit for each person. So they need to know that they can move to somebody else if it doesn't, if it's not a good fit, if it's not a good match. But almost 100% of my clients say that we always get to more things than they expected Mm. in a good way, right? So some realizations are made, some aha moments, some issues came up that they didn't even realize that were underlying, such as core beliefs or, you know, the stress level or not having things in balance in their life. Some people don't know how how to have balance. Yeah. Wow. you know, we've shared this on uh, several podcasts, but I was diagnosed with panic disorder, and I, I wish somebody would have told me what to look for mm. before it got to the point where I decided I needed, yeah. had to go. So, so what would you tell people? If something doesn't feel right, then something's wrong. So learning to listen to our body, not just our thoughts, being aware of our thoughts, but what is our body telling us? Mm-hmm. And so people who don't sleep well, like maybe there's a reason. People who are having anxiety or panic attacks, like something's going on within their psyche that needs to be investigated. But one, you know, if, if one of the things that I learned is to do mm-hmm. like a body inventory. Mm-hmm. And we were kind of joking about it before we started this podcast. The stupid parking app went haywire. And I was clenching my jaw for about the first 10 minutes of the podcast. Mm. Then I go, okay. So if I would have learned that before. Yeah. So. Yeah. Learning to pay attention. Like we don't evaluate our body, right? We just get used to what's normal and kind of ignore it. We're not taught these things. So Mm. watching, you know, what your body is telling you and just learning to listen to that, pay attention because it means something. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's powerful. There's so much more we'd love to delve into, <laughs> which is kind of our code invitation. Yeah. Will you come back again <laughs> and spend some time with us? Uh, we'd really like that. Thank we'd you. We'd really like that, Anita. 
So once again, everyone, we appreciate you tuning in to today's episode, and we hope all will go well in the future. Look forward to the next time. Take care.